before we get going with today's podcast, I want to remind you about a great opportunity to learn football at Lawrence First and Goal Coaches Clinic. The clinic is to benefit pediatric brain tumor research as well as cancer services. And the lineup, as I mentioned, is an incredible one. 160 speakers. And right now you can get the ticket to that clinic, $49 for an individual for a staff of five, so $30 a coach there, but you need to act now. That expires once it hits 2021 here, midnight on Friday. Again, check it out at lfgf.coachesclinic.com. I'm joined today by the offensive line coach, run game coordinator at Texas Southern. You also know him from his Facebook group, Lyman Lunch, Coach Matt Jones. Matt, it's great to have you here today. Oh, it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Matt, you started something that really caught fire on Facebook. You're doing it on Twitter now with, with Lime and Lunch, and definitely want to get into your background, but that's been a, a useful site, I think, for a lot of guys out there. I know I told you for when I was coaching offensive line at the college level, I would have a private Facebook group with my offensive line, and I'd always direct some of your posts there, like cleaning the pocket was definitely one of them, and just things that we're trying to work on and you're giving good visuals for. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it's a fun little deal. It's kind of a library of just certain things and it was a lot of pro tape. And the biggest thing I wanted to do is make it a small digestible clip, not have a long diatribe. Just here's a visual, a visual key on a small coaching point, whether it be getting your second step in the ground on contact, whether it be cleaning the pocket, don't let a defender get his hands up and pass pro especially in the quick game, little things like that and kind of give a little visual tool and try to find the best. I watched so much film. It was kind of, you just start tagging stuff and it was, it was easy to put up, but how that whole thing started, I was at Tulane. I was a GA graduate assistant. And when coach McDonnell, our offensive line coach would go off recruiting and on the road the whole time, you got your projects and things you got to get done in the office. But that's usually a time where a graduate assistant can do some voluntary film work with their guys and after a while you watch all the cutoffs all the one-on-ones you're going through installs and stuff like that if, as long as your offensive line coach trusts you and that's we I had a great relationship there so we had a little noontime lunchtime meeting with the Tulane linemen and when we got done with all our tape guys of course when you start putting on pro tape everyone thinks that's their dream so they're they're a little more attentive so we'll pick a topic of the day and I'll show 10-15 clips and Here's this guy's playing grounded. This guy's got tight hands, whatever it is, whatever kind of that theme of the day. And the guys would be magnetized to it. Well, eventually, the rigors of academia, those guys, especially at Tulane being a high ed school, those guys need to spend a little more time studying. So the meetings kind of got cut short, but they still had that itch for those those clips. So I eventually just, in our group chat, started sending it to them. And then I started posting and kind of went from there. It was the Lyman lunchtime meeting. That's how all that kind of happened. It's funny, too, how you look at really the evolution of of coaching education and the visual, the video that we can get really starts to highlight some of those coaching points and gets it across. Like you said, in those, those 15 to 30-second or less clips, you can highlight a fine detail of things and get that point across where – Years ago, it was really 
going to clinics or getting these 45-minute to hour-long DVDs and learning it that way. And now we have this expansion in coaching education and just these bite-sized chunks that we could pick up on Twitter, Twitter chats, Facebook groups, all these different places that I think those kinds of things help us as coaches. And no doubt. And once it's done, like anything you tell your kids, anything you post is on there forever. Well, when you're posting that stuff, it becomes a, a library that you can resource. I mean, there's times where I'll be in the room and we'll go to, hey, and I might not have the film loaded in our system yet from a past job or, or whatnot. Well, I go, hey, we're going to look at the Gallup technique and here's a couple clips on it. And it's just, now it's a library. You just search the, the deal and you can find that stuff pretty easy. Coach, before we get back into some offensive line play and, and talk about technique and scheme and some different things, let's go back into your background a little bit. You got your start at Avila University. Where did you play your football? Well, I was actually kind of – I was I was at Eastern Illinois. I actually played rugby at Eastern Illinois and then started off as a student assistant there back in 2007, kind of going into 2006, 2007. And then from there I was uh, – education major so i had a student teach a coach at a high school for in 2008 Lincoln central went to st francis in joliet illinois and the high school as a tight ends coach then the o-line coach and then i went to avila so that was 2000 2011 and 12 from there i go from chicago to kansas city from kansas city to philadelphia villanova for a year Tulane for two years and i was in mississippi for a year and now i'm at texas southern so kind of all around you got to go where, go where you, the opportunity takes you. And that's a, a great story just about moving up the ranks, not actually having played college football, but having a desire to, to teach and coach, moving through some time at the high school level and then making the jump to college, and now you're at the FCS level and through your efforts on Lyman Lunch, kind of known around the country. What advice do you have for coaches who want to, to climb the ladder that way and and make it from, let's say, high school up to a higher level? Well, a couple of different things. For one, it's be a good person. Everyone wants to hire a good guy. No matter if you're the smartest in the room or, or not, be the hardest working in the room. Make sure that your name means something. Go out in clinic. Go out and work camps. Go out and meet people. And just keep working hard and do a really good job at the, the job you have. That's how you get noticed. If you're always got one foot in, one foot out, trying to get the next one, trying to climb the ladder, well, your line suffers, your, your position group suffers, your career suffers doing that. So, And keep your head down. It's a battle of attrition. I mean, I'm telling you, for the first 10 years of my life, I was technically, by American standards, broke. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's how long are you willing to be just as broke as you can be, work – Working side jobs, delivering pizzas, bar back, and whatever it is, driving used cars. You got to be as broke as you can for as long as you can. I think Coach Franklin said that a couple of years back. Yeah, you got to, if you really want this thing to pop, you got to make some serious life choices and some risks and, and, and get it to go because it's not, your career is not going to go the way you want it. There's definitely that, the way it's supposed to. that sacrifice up front and at the same time as you're doing all those different things to make ends meet, you have to be increasing your knowledge. And you've become a wealth of knowledge and you share that 
on social media. But how did that happen for you? How did you learn all these things, and, and what mentors or who was a mentor along the way? Well, I, I think it started with my high school coach. I played high school at Mount Carmel High School on the south side of Chicago for legendary head coach Frank Lenti, a man of character, uh, an excellent X's and O's man, but a man that taught leadership, citizenship, how to be a proper adult and, and raise yourself and hold yourself accountable. It started there, that passion for football and that passion for kind of coaching, and I knew I always wanted to be around it. In terms of knowledge, so I've had the opportunity to work some outstanding coaches in my career, some of the absolute best. The University of St. Francis, I worked for Mike Uremovich, who's now the offense coordinator at Northern Illinois. And Mike gave me responsibility because at the NAIA level, we don't have a ton of full-time guys. So you gotta, you're gotta you going to coach and you're going to have baptism by fire and you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to get your butt chewed and you, you just don't make it again. Coach Uremovich did an outstanding job of, hey, get up on the board and install inside zone right now on the spot. No PowerPoint. Tell me everything you know about it. And he's critiquing you. And he says, your circles suck. You can't even draw a formation. Come on. And so you're, you're, I mean, you got some nerves to you. You know, you're just up there. Your boss is telling you to get it going. And you've been coaching football for two, three years. But then he'd say, hey, here's the way I'd do it. Or I don't want you to use that coaching point. Use this and here's why. As long as you can explain the why. So, I mean, that was learning in a hurry. I mean, that was multiplied. And then, but Villanova, working for Mark Ferrante, one of the best guys out there. I mean, Mark you know, his, was the offensive line coach at Villanova University pretty much from the start when Coach Talley got there. And then now he's the head coach. And he's been at the same place for all the, the majority of his career. And a vast amount of knowledge. And that, was that, that whole offensive staff had. And then you go to Tulane and Coach McDonnell has worked at Stanford and Notre Dame and well, where's where and who's who of places. And then coach, our offense coordinator, Eric Price, who's been everywhere as well. So you sit there, you learn. Sometimes it's best you can't learn when you're talking. You shut up and sit there and take notes. And when you got a question, know the appropriate time to ask it and go from there and, and study and go out and clinic and disseminate what you want to coach and what you don't want to coach, whether that coaching point you could use and it applies for you because not all of them do kind of that way i'm a film junkie i watch a lot of film i read a lot of books you know, i try to do the best i can to keep sharpening my sword but i don't got all the answers by any means i think that's an important point there that really if you're gonna keep going in this game and you get to the point where you feel have you have all the answers then maybe it's time to retire because there's so much to learn in this game and in 27 years i still feel like I am continuing to learn football. And I, I think that's the, for a coach, that's the exciting part of this. And it's those little things too. Like you pointed out, drawing your circles the right way. I, I mean, I recall in an interview, uh, I was still coaching high school ball at the time. I was in an interview with this big committee and there were a couple football guys in there, but it was mostly administrators and parents and board members, that kind of stuff. And I'm up at the board drawing offense. And then they asked me a question about defense and I flip it over, turn it upside down the way we see it, at least from the offensive side, and start talking about the defense. And it's those little things. When you do that in an interview, I mean, coaches especially can, can spot whether you really know what you're talking about or not. There is no faking it with guys when you're, you're out there interviewing for the job. You really have to be prepared 
And I think that's obviously where those mentors come into play. Without a doubt, yeah. And then kind of making yourself become more comfortable being uncomfortable. At any point when I was at St. Francis, you can be quizzed on anything. So you're, you're on your toes. Now, it wasn't a you're going to get yelled at, screamed at, anything like that. It was teaching moments, but you have to articulate what you're trying to get across. And as a young coach, I needed that. I needed to be – you think, oh, yeah, I got it. Oh, yeah, I got it. And then you get out to the field and something happens, and you're like, oh, I didn't go over that one. Uh, okay. Well, all that stuff matters. Mm-hmm. All that stuff really matters. So if I ever get the opportunity to run my own program, I'm going to do that. Hey, get up there and, and clinic me on this at the drop of a hat well shoot and then hey you, know, you got to do it especially for when it's the off season when you don't got a lot of stuff going on and that's great times for young coaches to, to do a mock interview or get up on the board and install because a lot of times they don't get to stand in front of a room the best part about coaching small college ball is that you have to coach there's not a, a million manpower no. You got to get up there and you got to do it and you got to help the program. Well, the smarter, and this was Mike's deal, the smarter I can make you, the better our program is. So it, it was outstanding. I, I thank him every day for that. I think one of the important things you bring up there that this really has it, learning has to be in your culture, not just for your players, but your coaches. And that I remember hearing. Mike Abershoff speak, I think it was 2005 at the AFCA, and there's an article in the their procedures manual that had all of that, and he was a commander of the USS Benfold, and he took it from one of the worst performing ships in the Navy to one of the best, and the way they did that is they really instilled this culture of, of learning. It was about learning. It was about improving. And I think when you have that in your culture, you see it from your players. Like I always wanted our players to be able to coach each other. I always felt like if I could get the players coaching and teaching each other and having the eyes for those things, we were in a good spot. If it had to be 100% coach-directed, we were in trouble. And I think the same thing happens in a staff. If if the head coach has to drive everything, if he has to be – the initiative behind everything, you're not as good as if everybody's out there teaching and learning from each other and looking for continuous improvement. Yeah, you think just because you're, you're running the ship in terms of being a coach, it's no different than when you're a player. you got to hold your brothers accountable. you got to try to everyone be on the same page. Like you just said, I love it when my guys are talking our language, talking during Indy, hey, that stuff was bad. Here's the reason why you led with your knee, your ankles got inside of your framework too much. Whatever it is, you didn't time your punch right because you didn't have your feet in the ground. Where were your eyes on that one? When your guys are doing that, that's when things start really changing over. And no different than the Navy ship going from where it was to where it became. The leadership, when you're talking, you get an opportunity to to gain accountability, to gain leadership in terms of your room and and on your staff. But when you have a culture of trying to learn, culture of Let's get better. No one's bigger than the team, whether it be the staff, whether it be the, the position group. If everyone's leading from the front and going to get in, in front of it and really trying to, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to lead and I'm going to run a clinic in the off season for our guys just to make sure we're all getting smarter, then your program ultimately benefits from that. 
Coach, taking a look at your guys in your room, as coaches, as position coaches, coordinators, whatever we might be, we have the the ability to shape that room, and certainly we're aligned with the bigger culture of the program. But that becomes our group and our responsibility. And, and the offensive line group just seems, wherever I've been, it's, it's unique. I mean, it's a really tight culture within that group. I mean, it is, it is the team within the team. What kind of things do you do to, to de- develop that? And what's that culture like for your guys with the offensive line? Well, the biggest thing we talk about in our line room is being disciplined. Okay? There's a lot of lists in college. There's only two of them that are good, the Dean's List and the All-American List. The rest are generally bad. Here's a kid that didn't turn in his books at the end of the semester. Here's a kid that was late for study hall, slept through his community service project, yada, yada, yada. So we talk about don't be – it's better to be on no list than All-American all and late to study hall. Those kind of counteract each other. So the accountability and the discipline are two things that I absolutely demand in our room. There's – there's no exception to that, okay, because you're going to hold that accountable. You're going to hold that to a high standard. You're going to be a reflection of your co-position groups, I believe, are. Secondly, on the field, I want them to be as physical as possible. I mean, within the rules and standards of the game, but to the limit. I don't want them to hold back. I want them to go and, and play hard like their hair is on fire, and I want them to be as physically dominant as possible all within the rules of the game, nothing dirty, okay? But I want them to get to the line of scrimmage and impose their will on people. We talk about that mental disposition all the time, is it's us versus the world, okay? The O-line is last to do everything. They're last to get the, the gear. They're last to get this. They're last to get – well, some programs are a little bit different. But so that's just the alignment. Well, we're going to do the heavy lift. We're going to do hunting and straining and fighting and scrapping. So we got to think it's it's us versus everybody. We kind of have that chip on your shoulder, underdog mindset, and that drives our work ethic. So if if anything, we ultimately discipline, accountability, and just tenacity. Get straining and being as physical as you can. Coach, in looking at some of the things happening at the higher level, and I know you, you study a lot of NFL tape and share those things on, on Lime and Lunch, there's a rule change that prevents some of those head-down hits, especially on the line of scrimmage, that they're going to be looking at those a lot more. I don't know that we've actually got that definition, but I think both you and I can figure out what some of those things are going to be. But the thing is, a a lot of what's going on in the NFL, they've kind of moved away from maybe that flat back, fire straight off the ball mentality into a different type of technique. In fact, going back through, I remember I was watching Hard Knocks last fall and watching tape of practice with these guys going full go, and you don't see a lot of helmet-to-helmet contact there because these guys are utilizing some different techniques. and. You and I were talking before this, a lot of what we're doing with Scott Peters, those kinds of techniques are are used, and they've kind of been at the NFL level. Those things get to be a little bit proprietary. I guess I'm excited that we've been able to partner with Scott and bring those to football at every level. Scott's been out there working with the NFL. He's been working with some of the big FBS schools, as well as doing his camps and clinics for youth and high school. And what's exciting is 
that stuff's available now, and, and we're starting to see those things, I think, catch on, and, and there's an evolution here of offensive line play. To you, what do you see as some of the, the key things that are going to, I guess, continue to be emphasized or take over as far as offensive line play at the higher levels? And as we know, that always filters down to the other levels as well. Well, first and foremost, Scott does a tremendous job. He's got an opportunity to meet Scott at the Coaches of Offensive Line Clinic in Cincinnati, Ohio, the last couple of years. And what he's doing, there's a war on football right now in terms of making it safer or eliminating it. It's either this or that. And what Scott's doing is fighting good cause in terms of trying to keep this game safe. The Tip of the Spear program is teaching hand placement. It's teaching using different a variety of different muscles in order to get the same ultimate outcome to happen. And it's, and it's more an efficient way of moving a defender or a safer way for sure. Incorporating larger muscle groups like your lower back, your abdomen, your core, your hips, your, your glutes, being able to lift the defender as well as move him vertically on two different planes. You're going to lift him with your upper body with your hands and then you're going to drive him with your lower body. So you're fighting two different forces and trying to keep your hips underneath it. But the old school of just blunt trauma, I'm going to hit you harder than you can hit me. And we're going to see who, who falls down first. Those days are done. Now there's still guys that still want it. That's the way they were coached. That's the way they've seen success. So that's what they want to still do. Okay. That's their prerogative. But as you, you can easily over play a guy that's out of his hips that's got his way too far forward that just wants to lead with his head it's, it's not a fundamentally strong position if you want just blunt force then yeah you're putting all your weight into a, a guy so in terms of leverage you want your hips not necessarily school pad under pad you want your center of gravity lower than the guy that you're going against you want your hands lower and tighter than the defender you're going against. If he has a hand on your pad tip and you have it to his chest or his sternum, you're underneath the pads, You can. what you're trying to ultimately do is unlock his ankles, knees, and hips. Guys, okay, use those coaching points. If there's no bend in those and those are just straight, they can only fight one force. Your arm is straight, it's, it has, but not strength. As soon as you bend that elbow, it now has power. It might not have as much stability. So, in terms of the defender, if we can unlock his ankles, knees, and hips, he can't fight a force driving at him. He can only fight a force coming down on him. Okay, it's no different than when you're standing up. You're fighting gravity. Okay, you're fighting this. As soon as you bend your knees, now you can jump. You have the ability to have power, but you're not as stable. Eventually, those knees are going to quiver, and you're going to have to stand up, okay, to get your stability. So what Scott does is awesome. I mean, it's, it's really helping the game. Again, there is a war on football, and, and we're trying to be on the on the winning side of it. I guess kind of the circle of guys who really work this kind of technique, really share it out with the, the football community. Obviously, Jim McNally is a big one with his cool clinic, and you have Bill Callahan out there that's using this stuff now, and John Strollo all the time talking about force deflection, those kinds of things. And what's exciting in, in to me is, is Scott's been able to take – all these things he's learned along the way, both from jujitsu as well as from some of the best coaches in the game, and put it into a very 
teachable progression because a lot of these things, you look at it on the surface, it, it becomes, geez, how the heck do I do that? I mean, I could see this guy at this school doing it, but how do I get my guys to do it? The progression is so important, and that's what has been exciting to me. We shot this stuff in last November, and I was able to see firsthand all the things along the way. And like I said, I, we had been picking it up from the cool clinic, but then w- there were some little details that were unlocked in there that really made sense. And it really all, all comes down to a detailed way of having things done. That, that football, it's not, this is not soft football. I mean, we have guys being moved. It's physical, but the, the head is out of it. And these guys are, are doing it with biomechanics. They're, they're able to, a lot of times, defeat maybe superior athletes or bigger defenders, and it all comes down to fundamentals and techniques. Without a doubt, and I think as a coach, if you start straying away from the fundamentals and just go into the scheme, that's when the breakdown happens. you gotta, you got to keep your head out of, the, out of the game. Your head's in the game in terms of your mental acuity, but the game is evolving. And I, I've seen that stuff. And the thing is, you can turn on Coach Callahan's stuff, and you can turn on Scott Peters' stuff, and you can see it being effective. The drill work, the head out of the game. You can actually say, okay, these are guys doing this. And Scott could show you junior high kids, high school kids, and turn on the tape and say, here's a direct application of what we're coaching. It's not clinic talk. It's not snake oil. You actually can see it, which is the benefit of all that stuff. There's a lot of times people will talk about some things, and you don't ever actually see it on film. So why are you even doing it? Why are you practicing it? Why are you putting emphasis and time into it if, if it's not applicable? Coach, with this, there's also a, a, just a change in, in mentality that has to take place. We obviously want the head out of the game, and I know I still see it at the end of every season. You'll have some, some kids on the Internet or on social media taking a picture of their helmet, all battle-scarred and showing it. And Scott talks all the time, and I, I really believe it, that the sign of superior technique today is that you're turning that helmet in at the end of the year, looking a lot like it was when you, when it was given to you in August, that a sign of superior technique is that you are keeping your head out of the game. With that in mind, coach, what kinds of things are, are you teaching? What does your progression look like as, especially when we're looking at something like the run block and you want guys to be able to move people off the ball for you? Uh, what's your teaching progression look like? Well, Keith, I think there's a lot to be learned from other disciplines, similar to what Scott has learned through his mixed martial arts. I learned day one of playing rugby that you can't go in there leaning with your head. Now, the helmet gives you a false sense of security. You can hit it with it, and it doesn't always hurt until the big one puts you down. Okay? When I broke my nose trying to tackle that guy, I learned in a hurry, well, I got to change. It is not the way you do it. Okay, so our teaching progression is kind of similar to that. We take the helmets off just as much as we have them on in Indy. Okay, we'll take it off, still secure, and now the defender will take his off as well. But you instantly know if you cross that threshold, your nose is going to go into that kid's shoulder pads. If you're not playing with your hands and, and defending your – guys instantly know it. It's not an unsafe drill. It's no different than what you do a drill in a summer camp. They know they can't just duck their head into it. So in terms of the social media thing, I don't, I don't put any weight in all that stuff. You know, you're never going to eliminate the helmet completely, 
But if your face mask, the bottom of your face mask, it means you're looking through your eyebrows, you got a bowed neck, you got a banana spine, and you're putting yourself in an anatomical correct position, you're going to have a little bit. But if it's any kind of chips, it's going to be at the bottom of the mask. Never the, the brand will go up there. You don't want any of that. You don't want those big gashes and stuff like that. It means you're ducking your head. It's an instant knowing that you're not playing with good leverage and, and good body positioning. So kind of our progression is this. We'll take the helmets off and run and pass, okay? And we're, we don't use a lot of hands as much as we can. So we're, we're going to – anytime we're in shoulder pads, we're going we're gonna to try to put, it up, put those hands on those shoulder pads. Coach, in, in working with the offensive line, I think it is the group that does get more – technique and fundamentals than some of the other groups and it's I think for any coach with whatever time you have it's kind of that balance of the fundamentals and techniques that you have to continue to work throughout the season and then the focus on the assignment or what we call scheme for you what kind of breakdown do you look for with with the time you have available in practice how much what percentage do you want a lot to work constantly working and refining those skills versus the assignment part of it yeah we're going to get a lot of the assignment stuff done in the classroom or the walkthrough prior to practice we will do some some kind of on the field walkthrough stuff in terms of that but the biggest thing is in terms of my coaching style is a term called same as i want as many schemes that i could say and protections screens run game i want to say hey guys this is the same as this this is the same as this, except the backside is the same as that. Right. So there's, it's a rules-based run game or a rules-based protection. Just follow your rules. And those rules are going to be able to encompass, let's just say, 95% of all the different, the 140,000 different looks. Okay? If you just follow your rule, your base rule, you'll be successful. And then you work the details of it. Ideally, if we, let's say, in our practice time, we roughly get about 30 minutes to 25, depending on the day, of pure indie, And then it, we'll steal some indie time, whether it be special teams or some other parts of practice. We try to get, whenever we're in group, some scheme stuff, whether it be half line, whether it be blitz pickup. That's when we're going to rep our scheme. Anytime we start adding pieces to tight ends, the fullbacks, the running backs, we're going to get into a little more of the scheme, but we're not going to get away from technique. The majority of our individual time kind of goes as we're going to learn the individual blocks. We're going to rep and rep and rep and define and define and define of what you have to do for this type of block. Okay, we do it every day. It's mandatory, non-negotiable. Okay, then we get into pods, whether it be a versus defense or, or with us as scouts, and you're working two-man combinations and all the stuff that you're doing. Whether it be passing, okay, and you kind of work your way out. So we go two man, we'll go three half line, we'll add tight ends, then you get in the group, then you get in the team. So what we want to see is there to be supreme carryover from the small D, the actual technique work in a one on one scenario into the pods, into the group, into the team. And ultimately, we want to see whatever you're coaching your individual, you want to see in terms of the tape. When you actually turn the tape on in the room, you're not watching your indie, you're watching play three of inside run or play seven of team run play action pass. You want to know the first part of practice is getting done there and there's carryover. 
Absolutely. And I love that. That same as that was a philosophy uh, we really used when I was at BW and, and my offensive line coach, Mark Jockham, who's the offensive coordinator now at North Carolina Wesleyan, really started to emphasize that for us because our, our head coach was just looking at the different amount of things we do and say, you guys are doing too much. And we'd, we'd point out like, coach, this is same as. So our deuce block on our power, for example, is the same as our B block on our zone. And our guys can drill those things and become better at it. And they really don't need to know the difference between whether it was the deuce or the B block. They're, they're just working both of those things together in our individual period. And then we have that carryover. So we have those different component parts. We work in individual. And then, like you said, you build them up in pods to group to team. It's a, it's a really fluid approach to being able to teach your players in efficient way so that they're the most effective they can be on the field. Yeah, and you don't want to bog them down. You can do – I think one of the best quotes I've read this offseason was do less better. Mm-hmm. Just, you, don't, you have to be really good at the stuff that you do, and you don't want to have too many outside things. Okay, this is its own little world here, guys. This is its own – these are unique steps, just this one scheme, and this play family is kind of different than all the other stuff we got going. Well, if you got to do that, why not expand on the stuff that – you have same ads, whether it be zone, whether it be gaps, whether it be the pen and pole stuff or if you're a wing tee guy, the buck sweep. What, what can we do to run that play and make it the same as for the line who's got to do the heaviest lift and change the formation, put a motion shift on there, only run it to this look. There's sometimes guys get afraid of, hey, I got, I got to check and play. Well, listen, we only run this scheme to the best look possible, and if it ain't there – we're going to the generic thing that we've installed day one of camp. Okay. Like one back power, for example, you're in a seven, you got a seven man box. You only got six to block. How are you going to come for the seventh defender? Okay. Well, you can either check the player or you can run an RPO or you can, and there's other stuff you can do, but you only run it to this ideal look. So we're not afraid as coaches saying, Hey guys, we're going to install this play. It's a little bit unique from what we're doing, okay? But we'll only run it to this look. So everyone knows, hey, if we don't got this look, here's the check. We're still running the ball or passing ball off numbers. doesn't matter. But we're trying to run it to the best look. So outside of your framework in terms of scheme, listen, guys, you only got to know it to this. If it ain't there, we're going something else. So your same-ass philosophy can kind of apply then, okay? Absolutely. That's a great approach, Coach. And looking at your situation, you're the run game coordinator. And I know this is your first year at Texas Southern, but I've always been interested in the the kind of the co-coordinator roles and how you work together to make those work. For you, how are you always on the same page with your guy who's coordinating the pass and, and Mm-hmm. on game day, the play caller and all those kinds of things. How are you guys able to communicate? What kind of work do you do up front that ensures everything is fluid and flowing as far as workflow, both practice week and the game? Well, this year, we're actually going in year two here for me at Texas Southern, and we have a new coordinator, Morris Watts, who works with our head coach, Coach Haywood, years back at Miami of Ohio and LSU and all that. And Coach Watts has coached football and I've been alive. Okay, so I'm going to give him, here's what I think our guys can do. Here's the schemes I like versus defense. Here's where I think we'd be successful, what I, I think. 
and he's going to say, I like this one, I like this one, I'm not real fired up about this one, yada, yada, because ultimately he has to have confidence in how he's going to call it, okay? So this is Coach Watts' offense. I'm going to take the schemes that and, and run schemes that we have within that large volume, and I'm going to say, for this week, I think we really can get a lot of mileage out of the duo play, okay? Or this week, I think teams have really hurt them with the gap scheme. Here's a couple formations that they're weak in. We have numbers. But in terms of coordinating the run game, first off, I'm going to look for numbers. I'm going to look trying to run the ball where we have plus one or at least even. If we're three for three at the point of attack, we're good. If we can get four for three at the point of attack, we're better. So I'm going to try to find as many advantages in the numbers game as possible. After that, I'm going to go for leverage. Where do we have the best look? Okay, the mics plus a little bit. The mics minus. They got a real wide split with their nine technique. They got a G and a nine. Okay, let's run one back power there. Or a leverage advantage on them. After that, it's players. Okay, do we want to double team this guy the whole time? Do we want to run a scheme where he has to chase us down and we know that he doesn't have good cardio because we're watching the third quarter, fourth quarter, and he, he plays only a small percentage of the reps. He's in there in the beginning. He's lights out and hard to block. Well, let's run uh, some more of the, the outside perimeter stuff to make him have to run the whole time. Okay. Or do we want to run right at him? He has trouble with double teams. So now you're talking about the player. Okay. After that, if all things are equal, you got the numbers, you got the leverage, you got the player advantages, then you want to run it to where the grass is. You want to run it to where it's open field. Okay. Get the ball in space and, and to numbers where you're fine and have the room to run. Ideally, our philosophy here is kind of run. We, we have bigger guys. We want to run in between the tackles, whether it be the, the power game, whether it be the inside zone game, whether it be the power no pole we call duo, that kind of scheme. We want to run and not have our guys have to really get out there as much. We want to be physical. We want to set up the play actions. You know, we're a, a pro-style team, so we're going to be under center a lot. So we want those safeties coming down really having to add that other guy in the box so that we can throw the ball over their head. But in terms of being in coordination with your coordinator, I'm going to say, here, coach, here's the stuff, and I always have a reason why. Mm-hmm. I say, these are, I like this, 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 and this. I like this on the goal line, and here's why. If you can't answer the why, then take it out of the plan because then you're not coaching as much, okay? And you gotta, you got to be willing to swallow your pride and your ego. If it's the best play in the game plan, you love it, and he, the coordinator says, "Hey, I don't, I don't like this scheme, or I don't like it versus that look." And you know what? He, he could tell you why, couldn't tell you why, but at the end of the day, you might have it on the plan, and he doesn't call it. It's no, not even worth it to rep it. Right. It is all about confidence in the game plan. I agree. As a play caller, I was was always adamant about if telling guys up front, like if I don't feel comfortable, I know you're telling me these things. If I don't feel comfortable with it, I won't call it. So. We have to make sure over the course of the week we have that confidence in it, too. We don't want to waste those reps. We don't want to waste that time. It's so precious. It's so valuable that it it is about getting on the same page with everybody, not just whether it's a co-coordinator situation or not, but all your coaches in the room. Without a doubt, yeah. When you leave that offense or defensive room or a special teams game plan, you guys have got to all be on the same page. You don't have to agree. We're all, we all have our, the way we think things are done. But what you have to show a solid front to your kids saying, 
this is the plan. This is why we're going to win. We're going to win because you guys are going to execute this game plan. Here's the game plan, whatever it is. And every single guy, even the guy that was in there at 7 a.m. saying, I don't want to run this pass concept, you better be damn good at it. You better be coached up at it. It doesn't matter what your job is. The old line coach say, we got to put in a five-man protection. You guys got to scan for seven. Hey, it's in. It's going to get called. Well, you better coach it up. doesn't matter if you don't want it. You, yes, Dad, one thing he says no, and you go to Mom, and she says yes. Well, <laughs> this is going to be a fight in the house. Well, you can't have it. You both right. got to be on the same page. Right. So we're, we're raising these kids in the game plan. We're raising them as football players. So we got to show United front. But the co-coordinator deal here is the plan, and Coach Watts calls it how he wants it, and I'm 1,000% ride or die with what he wants done, and I'm going to coach my ass off of however he wants. That's kind of how we have it here at Texas Southern. Coach, you talked about a play a couple times in your last answer the duo play. I love that play. It's It fit well with our schemes. We were running a lot of one-back power, some two-back power, and then duo would become a, a big play for us in certain situations as well. Talk to us about the duo play and what you like about it, and we'll get into some of the setup of that play then. Well, it's definitely it's a downhill attacking play. Duo uh, the reason why we call it duos because you're always going to have at least two double teams. Sometimes you have three, depending on what personnel or formation you are in. It's very good versus four down. It's not un- it's not unblockable versus three down, but it's a great four down play where you can really really move the defense at the point of attack. Okay, and it's a real simple read for the back. So what it is, it's an A gap on to the front side, no different than you're running the A gap. Okay, so we call it. And some people may have called it power no pull. So you're running on the front side no different than vertical backers instead of a long combo to a backside backer because you're not pulling anyone from the backside, okay? Some people have even gone to saying it's inside zone opposite, tight zone, mm-hmm. like a dive zone. We keep it in the gaps family. So say you had a traditional over front with a nine technique, or yeah, nine technique and a tuck Sam, okay? We're going to double team the three to the mic, okay? We're going to double team the, the low shade, to the will, the backside tackle is going to be inside out. He can even gap hinge or go attack and go mid to pit and, and try to torque the defensive end out. He just can't let him go into the gap. It's a gap play, so everyone has a gap away from the call. So if we're running, say, a 32 duo, everyone's going to have the gap to the left. No different than the front side of power, you got the gap play opposite if you're running a, a play side to the right power play. Okay. A real good play against cover four safeties mm-hmm. to set up the play action. Those guys got to come down their fit because that dive, and, and I've seen it happen plenty of times, the mic misfits, you get two in a gap, defenses in gap sound, those safeties are coming up, they're reading the double wing tight end block, they come and fit, and it goes right through both of them, okay? Because it's on you so fast. You don't have a lot of time to think. It's not a development play. It's a right now play, Okay. In 11 personnel, we put it into the nickel family. You only run it to a six-man box. You got to be. You kind of want to run it to the same looks. You want to run one back power too. Okay. Mostly we'll run it out of 21 or 12. The fullback can kick out the front side, no different than he can on the power. If you're teaching it that way, to have same as mentality. However, you teach a 21 or 12 personnel power play for the end and the fam, you can have same as in the duo play. Okay, if it's a nine and a Sam tuck and you have a, a base roll that easy out with the 
tight end and your schemes and your power, you can do that on the dual plate. It has the flexibility for that. Everything else, vertical double teams. And it's a physical, physical, square shoulders, violent, violent type play. It's one play that guys can get a lot of confidence on early because there's not, not a lot of thought process. You know, I got a gap and we're running on the double team. Okay, let's go. Coach, how do you, when you're looking at, as you mentioned, a lot of the, the fronts you're going to run it against would be the same as what you're running your, your one-back power to. For you, how do you make that determination of we want to be in duo right now or we want to be in one-back power? Kind of how the, the backers play. If they're getting too far over the top on the power play and, and it's kind of causing some, some strain on the play side double, if they if they don't fit fast and don't get you off your doubles, I think you want to run the dual play because you can get some vertical movement on the guys right now. But it's really it's flipping a coin, whichever scheme. And the and the eleven personnel, the nickel world, it's really flipping a coin of what you like most, and kind of dependent on your personnel up front. And they have a real quick three technique and a real quick kind of heavier shade, but he, he stands straight up. Well, let's double them, okay. But you can run it to both. It's not. It's very flexible. But the looks that you don't want to run, the one back power play carry over to the dual play as well. So it's kind of in that gaps family of ideal looks. Coach, I appreciate all the time you spent with us here today. One last question for you: When you look at all the things you do with your group, your unit, in order to make them successful, in order to give them the winning edge, what's the one thing you think makes the most difference to you? in doing that trust they have to trust you you have to trust them they got to trust each other if there ain't trust in the room you're, you're, you're that's the one thing that we harp on in terms of kind of getting stuff done and no one's no one's bigger than the brotherhood so to get that stuff done in the room you need trust that's that's huge that's the biggest thing those key little blocks and how you teach the double team, whether you're an overlap combo or a high knee, high leg combo, there's a million ways to skin a cat. If he doesn't trust the guy next to him that he's comboing with, it ain't going to work regardless. So, yeah, that's that's by far the best thing we, we do here. Coach, for those guys out there who maybe aren't aware of Lyman Lunch, don't have your social media handle, where can they follow you and see all the things you do and the tips that you share? Or it would be on Twitter, it's at Coach Matt Jones, all one word. And then on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Munch. Coach, I appreciate all you're doing for the game. Thank you for taking the time with us here today on the podcast, and good luck to you in Texas Southern this season. I appreciate it, Keith. Great job with all that you're doing, helping USA football and all the coaches out there. This, this podcast is absolutely one of the best, first class. You know, I recommend it to all the guys. When they're on the road recruiting, you better fire it up.